Welcome to Paris Good Food and Wine. I'm Paige Donner, the host and producer. This food and wine show is being brought to you directly from Paris, France. Here, we give you a taste of this delicious world with all its colorful and diverse personalities that make up the Paris culinary landscape. So, sit back and relax and enjoy Paris good food and wine. For our January show, we're talking all about wine. This show's inspiration came from the announcement that Stephen Spurrier was resuscitating the Academy du Vin. So, of course, I reached out to his longtime friend here in Paris, Mark Williamson, owner of the legendary Willie's Wine Bar, to get the scoop. He suggested I talk directly with Mr. Spurrier when he was next in town, and voila, the interview. First, though, I sat down with Mark Williamson at his elegant Maceo restaurant, which is just a few doors down from Willie's Wine Bar, there on Rue de Petit Champ, just behind the Palais Royal. He filled me in on all sorts of fun tidbits, including his Willie's Art Club poster initiative and what it means to be a Rhone Ranger. Mr. Spurrier then joined us at the bar and gave me some backstory about the Academy de Vin and why now is the perfect time to lift it back up and out onto a global stage. He also tells a little bit about his own sparkling wine from southern England, a venture he and his wife began a few decades ago. So, sit back and relax and enjoy another episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. And, if you're truly lucky... You'll be sipping on a glass filled with one of your favorites. Oh, and uh, by the way, cheers to 2018 New Year's resolutions. Mine is to drink more fine wines. What's yours? It is so festive here. It's right around the holiday time. By the time this airs, the holidays will be over. But it's gorgeous here at Maceo, right on uh, in the in the heart of Paris, just behind the Palais Royal. Yes, and I'm sitting across from Mr. Mark Williamson, who is really a legend in his own right, a living legend here in Paris. He's the founder of Willie's Wine Bar and has done even so much more, even than that, which is already a, a massive accomplishment. We were just chatting a, a moment ago that you're coming into your 38th year, but before I ramble on anymore, let's hear it from your from the horse's mouth, as they say. Right, hello, everybody. I'm Mark Williamson from Willie's Wine Bar and Maceo, and um, it's a pleasure to talk with you all today. Um, uh, rambling on about Willie's Wine Bar, um, I really don't know what there is to ramble on about. It's it's a small little bar um, across the way from the Palais Royal Gardens where we uh, serve French bistro food and um, have had the same chef since 1992 um, and somebody has been with me now for next year will be 30 years we've been working together. 
Uh, we have an extensive wine list, which is very Rhone-based. It's a European wine list. It's got things from here and there and everywhere. But it's um, the sort of the weight and the depth in the wine list is is basically um, the Rhone Valley. So Cote Roti and Cornas and Chateauneuf de Pape and Cote de Rhone Village like Gigondas and things like that. And, and lots of nice white wines from San Joseph and um, Condrio. Everybody likes a little glass of Condrio in the spring, don't they? Yes, Condrio is one of my favorites. And it's one of the wines that I only discovered since I've been back in France. So, um, wow, you just, you, you rattle off those famous, world famous appellations as if they're just, uh, just, uh, old friends, which I know at this point they, they really must be for you. How, Mark, how did you become impassioned by by French wines? Because I mean, Willie's Wine Bar, um, it's like it's the must stop. You know, and anybody who likes a glass of wine in Paris has to stop at Willie's Wine Bar. It's it's that iconic. But how did you, an Englishman, become so impassioned by French wines? Okay, it's a long story. Um, if you want, we could do it in three parts. Um, yeah. uh, we love long stories. I um I came to Paris or came to France to cook. I was I was a cook in England when I was in my uh, late teens, um and I arrived here and began cooking and learning French and doing all the things you do when you're about twenty years old, uh, some of which don't need to be elaborated on right now, um and. Uh, I cooked for basically in France for two years, and then I said, this is enough cooking, I need to know something about wine. And so I went over to Stephen Sperrier's wine shop on the um, Rue Royale. I'd heard about Stephen and the work that he was doing. And I said, you need to employ me. I need to know about what you know about, and um, I'll be perfectly happy to do a lot of the things that need to be done around here. You know, basically give me the keys to the shop and let me get on with it. Um, and, and so I worked with Stephen th for three years and, and then I said, well, that's it. I know everything that I need to know and I'm not going back to England, but that's a dump. I can get great wines right here on the, my doorstep and just look at all that market produce. I mean, but the French need something a little different. So that's when I opened my wine bar and the rest is history. I mean, there were a lot of people who were incredibly supportive. And uh, I'm, I, I got away with, I think I probably got away with murder. And you, if you'd started a restaurant today on the sort of amateurish basis that I did it in the 70s, you'd probably be gone by the end of the week. So I'm rather lucky. You know, too, I mean, you were at a real, um, you were a real precursor even to, uh, you know, just this wave of, of, French wine coming into its own. Somebody reminded me um, just a few weeks ago that there was a time not that long ago when French wine wasn't, wine in general, in fact, wasn't necessarily tasted as in, with such a sophisticated flair as we've come to know it today. Like there's been a serious evolution and it seems like your the date of the establishment of Willie's Wine Bar and then subsequently Maceo just next door, this beautiful restaurant, um, it, it was kind of like, I don't know, it's like you accompanied that whole evolution. How much of pedagogy, like, you know, how much of like a, a cultural affairs ambassador have you been for, for French wine while managing your, your restaurants? 
I think I think we're we're just part of a, um something that's a bit bigger. If you go back to the the success of Willie's, if you want to call it success, um, you find that right at the beginning there there was the there was a, an incredible amount of uh, interest in wine, which is sparked off by the judgment of Paris, which had taken place. Um, back in 76, if my memory is correct, and I opened Willie's in 80, and things started to change. Robert Parker was just getting going, and um, Patricia Wells was writing her books about Food Lover's Guide to Paris, and so there were a whole load of things that all sort of went together, and it basically hasn't stopped since then. It's gone on and on, and we found our niche um, with the Rhone Valley, I basically was interested in the Rhone anyway, and I couldn't understand why there were no Rhone wines present in Paris. And so I just got to work on it. I mean, I, I'm, I've always been somebody who'd rather fight my own battles than compete with other people. And uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm much rather people look at something and sort of say, oh, I like this, and, and don't sort of start comparing it. And and so I was very fortunate in having the whole of the Rhone Valley, which is only France, France's most diverse and, and original winemaking region. I mean, it is it's possibly the, the most interesting winemaking region anywhere in the world because there's so many different grape varieties and so many different styles of wine. And and really, if you look at the southern Rhone, um, there's an awful lot of volume as well. And and things have gone on improving. and. The Rhone has resisted the temptation to kind of make itself unaffordable. There are things that have become quite expensive, but you could say justifiably so when you compare it to what other people are charging for similar things elsewhere. But there also, uh, there's a vast amount of wine that is incredibly nice to drink and enjoy um, on a kind of daily basis without, you know, b b needing to sell your house and your yacht. Oh yes, that yacht. I forgot about my yacht. <laughs> but but there but actually if it came to a a, a really great Chateau Neuf du Pape or a yacht, I think I may choose the Chateau Neuf du Pape. <laughs> yes, you you always want to have a, especially in the winter, you always want to have a good bottle of Chateau Neuf. You know, your insight is really fascinating, especially coming from an Englishman because the English Bordeaux, the England-Bordeaux relationship has been for centuries and centuries, and I think a lot of American listeners don't quite, you know, realize that un until we until we're reminded of it. But look, I wanted to I wanted to change um, direction in the conversation just for a moment, and but we'll come back to wines for sure. But um, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about your Willie's Bottle Art Collection, because uh, according to some of the stuff I've read, but I want to hear the details from, from you, Mark. You began this in 1982, so it would have been really closely after you opened Willie's Wine Bar, you started championing artists uh, making, um, well, t well, tell me what this is all about, please. Okay, so Willie's Bottle Art really started, it was a, another sort of chance happening. Um, uh, a, a man called Alain Vey, who, who was the curator of the Musée de Publicité here in Paris, came into the bar and we got talking and he was he was sort of sipping on a glass of I think it was Muscat de Baume de Venise in, in weather very like this. And he was in no mood to leave. And we talked and talked and talked. And, and he drank and drank and drank. And eventually he had an idea. And he said to me, I have an image from Cassandre, who's very, very famous, uh, who was a, a, an affichiste and a graphic designer of, from the 30s, um, and who did uh, uh, you, 
if you've never heard of Cassand, you've definitely seen the artwork that he did. It's unmistakable. And, and th there was this wonderful image that he'd done for Nicola, the wine merchant, that just hadn't been used. And Anna said, but we could use Willie's wine bar as a vehicle for this great image. And I said, but may we? Uh, and so we did it. Um, and we did it together as a joint project. And then I called him up the next year and I said, but Alain, where are you? Um, I want to do another poster. Because I was immediately thinking of Mouton Rothschild with their sort of labels every year, or um, Pirelli, the calendar. And I was thinking, but you know, I can do these things and, and it's so much fun to do. And so Alain came with another old image. And I said, no, Alain, I don't think that you understand I want to do contemporary and then he called up Alberto Bali and we had lunch together with Alberto and uh, as always with these kind of events it was rather a long lunch and Alberto agreed um, and he did this most fantastic image and that was the beginning of really of the contemporary work and from there on we, we've gone on doing a poster not necessarily every year but we did there was a little time period when there was no more space on the walls and then we Willie's expanded and, and then we started again. And so the last three or four years, we've been um, regularly doing uh, a, a poster a year. And it's always a different artist, um, except very occasionally. People get one crack at it. Sometimes the images are, are, make perfect sense when you look at the wine bar. And sometimes they're just the artist's kind of relation with wine and they can be quite distant from from the, the wine bar itself so what I ask people to do is is come up with an with a, an image that celebrates the enjoyment of wine um, and sometimes they get it right and sometimes they don't you know, I came across, when I was reading up a little bit on that, I came across a, a, what I thought was a fabulous quote from, from one of your writings. It was, uh, you do a visual emotion of what we strive to put in your wine glass. Yes, yes. So, and I think that has to do, now you've actually started a poster shop, I think, too, with some of these. Uh... Um, it, we sell the posters online. Um, we have a little, yes, Willie's Bottle Art store which you where you can go and buy the posters or buy some of the posters but not all of them are in print and you can buy but you can buy all the re most recent posters we and we sort of ship them we i love sending them all over the world you know it's my my passion is kind of do you see this is going off to brazil or you know argentina or somewhere exotic you know um we have uh, a lot of them go into areas where um you know there's vineyard and uh so um we've got some friends in Australia who are um, huge supporters and the US and Canada and most of Europe um, kind of order posters every now and again yeah so you can buy them in Willys which is a very good idea we like that and uh, and you can buy them online well when you were just talking to you about all the different regions um, did you you did a campaign a Kickstarter campaign a couple of years ago to help uh, to help fund a charitable cause can you relate a little bit about that the idea was when uh, everybody was talking about Kickstarter and I said, but this is a great way of getting the message out there that we're doing another poster. So we did a little campaign on Kickstarter, which was great fun, raised the money for printing the poster and for going down to Australia with the next poster. 
and which we we did the following year, uh, where we we had a a kind of an auction, a live auction, and a um a, a silent auction, an online auction for the whole collection of all the posters. We took down every single poster we'd ever done, and in the Brasa Valley had a, um a great big event with just about every winemaker you'd ever he- ever heard of. And the poster that we took down there was the, the Rod Schubert, um, and he wouldn't come to France to sign his poster, so I had to go to Australia for that. But then we did, we did the auction was purely for the charity, and we raised um, 35,000 Australian dollars for a local charity to do with further education for children who didn't necessarily, who needed, who required, sorry, further education for children who required further education who but didn't necessarily have the wherewithal to fund it so it's a local charity down there um, and that was absolutely fantastic and the person who bought the poster collection who won the auction um, is currently building a museum for all of the posters wow that's big news yeah. that's great yeah i think it's absolutely splendid so there's going to be a, an, um, a little museum for willie's bottle art in the barossa valley Love that. Love that, yeah. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine with me, your host, Paige Donner. We're talking with Mark Williamson, owner of Willie's Wine Bar and also Massio Restaurant, both in Paris's first arrondissement. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about Maceo. I know that you do a lot of, um, you host a lot of things here. And, of course, everything to do with, with wine but it's so uh, convenient that it's right next door to Willie's Wine Bar. How did how did this all come about? I mean, it's been here for what thirty years too. Twenty. Twenty. I was I was minding my own business in in the Rue de Petit Jean, and the man who uh, owned Maceo, which was at that time was called the Mercure Galon. Um, it was one star Michelin. Grabbed hold of me, and he said, "You need to buy my restaurant." And I said, well, that's a very funny thing for you to ask me to do. It's way too big for me, and um, it's probably way too expensive. And he said, no, no, you have to have it. You're the right age. It'll be good for you, da-da-da-da-da. And so I said, well, okay, tell me what you need, what you want, and I'll go and look at it. And I went up to my office, and I played around with figures, and then I came down, and I said, okay, I'll buy it. And, uh, and that was that. And and so we turned um, the Mercure Galon into Maceo, and we turned it from one-star Michelin into a rather more... Uh, outward-looking democratic establishment where food and wine are very important, but the kind of um, the fussiness that you you get around one-star dining or two-star dining or, and uh, um, is t- totally absent. So we don't have one clientele; we have many clienteles, and we also cater for vegetarians, which is something that nobody in Paris was doing 20 years ago. We immediately went to town or tried to. Um, it's quite complicated with a chef the cuisine from the sudwest, but try to offer vegetarian options on our menu for people who wanted alternative dining. Um, and we've always, something we've always done. So we try and be very inclusive and, and just have a, a sort of a nice, friendly place that every, where everybody feels at home. That is very forward-thinking, yeah, because, I mean, even up to a couple years ago, you couldn't find anything, uh, anything vegetarian. I mean, you could just order, like, you know, French fries, palm, you know, palm frites or something, but... That, that's, the, that's the French problem. 
and we i mean i could explain it to you um at a very lengthy but in a lengthy manner but basically a french chef is taught how to cook noble ingredients and they all dream of cooking noble ingredients so it's a bit like saying to an architect you've got to build me a house but you don't have any anything to build the house with and a french chef when he's cooking is cooking with a noble ingredient that that's the that's the sort of the foundation and the mainstay it's the it's the bricks and the mortar of his dish so if you say to him i want you to make something with the garnish and um, with the decoration he's lost and and it, it's it's just a whole different way of thinking so i mean it's taken it's taken a while the, be the best results i've had have been with korean chefs japanese chefs asian chefs of one description or another um and uh the biggest shock I ever had was when my first chef from the Southwest, Jean-Paul, opened his own restaurant in the Banlieue five years after he'd started working with me here. I went there and I found that he'd, in spite of being resist a resistant to making vegetarian food here, um, and really not at all um, remotely interested in it, that he had vegetarian food on his own menu. Um, and that, that, was, that was extraordinary. It was one of the, my, my biggest shocks. Um, yeah, I love that. I, I, I really like how you frame things. It uh, puts uh, it's so artistic the way you the way you frame things with your with your words. Um, let, OK, so let's switch back now, uh, if you don't mind, back to wine. You know, I like to um, I always like to ask people, especially in places so iconic, like like a, like a Willie's wine bar, you know, how can people wander in and feel comfortable if they really don't know a Rhone from a Bordeaux, from a Burgundy? Because I, I have the chance, you know, to talk to a lot of people now about about wine and uh, wine and food pairings, you know, per personally. And, and I find what I've been finding, Mark, is that there's such a genuine interest, like, you know, a real genuine interest in wanting to know more about French wines. But there's also, I think, for a lot of, at least a lot of Americans or North Americans, there is a, a, a this a, there can be a bit of a sense of intimidation. So how can we walk into your into Willie's Wine Bar and feel comfortable ordering something off the menu? Do we need to come with like a pocket translator or? <laughs> uh, not at all. No, I mean I think um, people may be intimidated by things that they don't know, but that's what's fun about it. I mean, you it's 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 an adventure and having. Uh, different wines in front of you you have somebody who will say to you well what is it you like and there's you know what you like and that's that's where you should start um, and then if you if you have knowledge as well then you can be drawn into uh, well I don't know what this is but what's it like and the wines we have on tasting I generally do a little description of which isn't necessarily very interesting there was a wine the other day that I compared to a Mogdiliani, and uh, that's not going to help most people. But it, you, it's it's really I think people shouldn't be daunted, and they, they uh, Willie's is a place not to be daunted. I mean, and and it's not it's not sort of a a wine shop with thousands and thousands of bottles that that are sort of arranged in a meaningless fashion it's there's the, on tasting there are 10 or 12 wines and there's probably one that you will have a vague idea what it's like um and then people i think people are far a lot of people are, are very much more alert awake alive and aware 
uh, of what's out there than one would believe. I mean, with the apps now that everybody seems to have in their pockets, yeah, sometimes I get the impression that my clients know more than I do. I sincerely have my doubts about that because you are very knowledgeable. But what would you, you know, having started as a 20-year-old enthusiast to wine and just with that audacity of, you know, approaching one of the foremost experts of wine at, you know, m well, Mr. Mr. Spurrier, even when you were, you know, were still wet behind the ears, as we say, do you have any kinds of words of encouragement um, for people who want to, you know, go down this path of, of learning more about wine, getting to taste wines? Because also, too, you know, Mark, your point about knowing what you like. Um, I've found, though, too, my, myself personally, that a lot of times I don't know what I like until I've tasted it, you know. So um, personally, what I always say to people is just taste wine. Taste as much wine as you can. But what are your words of encouragement? Um, I think people who are interested um, don't need to be encouraged. They're kind of on fire. And it's true that we've had in, in Willie's, we've often, we're very as open to taking on people who don't necessarily have much restaurant experience, who don't necessarily have perfect French, who don't necessarily know anything about wine, and, and kind of sort of explaining to them, you know, uh, giving them a bit of grounding. And, and it's amazing how some people completely get into it, but you actually, you can take, you know, take a horse to water. There's, there's, there, there is no fixed recipe to turning the planet onto wine. Um, and there are people who are going to, it's such a versatile subject that you're, you're going to be dealing with so many different pleasures. And you've, you, no matter how little you know, there's, you, you know something. And no matter how much you know, there's a, a thousand times more to know. And so, I mean, it, it can be a lifelong passion. There will always be, every day you can get up and try something new. And I think that's really amazing. Those are really great words of wisdom, a lifelong passion. You know, I guess we'll, maybe we'll wrap it up there. I, that's such a wonderful note to, to end on. And I want to thank you very, very much, Mark. Thank you so much for today. It was a pleasure. I feel very honored to be told that I'm this important. Thank you. Great. Okay, cool. If you'd like to support our show, you can find our Paris Food and Wine shop at parisfoodandwine.net. T-shirts, food items, and a soon-to-be-published food and wine pairing guidebook. That's parisfoodandwine.net. Thank you for listening to Paris Good Food and Wine. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Up next is Stephen Spurrier telling us all about the Academy de Vin and explaining why Decanter named him Man of the Year for 2017. Mr. Stephen Spurrier, it is such an honor and a privilege and a pleasure to be sitting across uh, from you at this at this bar at Maceo. And... Um, I, I wanted to I wanted to try to introduce you. I mean, you are the organizer of the Judgment of Paris um, in 1976, 70, 76. 76. 
the Grand Dame of Wines, Jancis Robinson, has called you the champion of French wines. You have been with Decanter for quite uh, a number of a number of years, and um, you've also been the founder of the Académie du Vin, which we're going to talk about a little bit more uh, just in the next few moments. But with all those highlights, you know, I have to say I'm really quite in in honor of of having the chance to talk with you. But how would you introduce yourself to say a room of wine enthusiasts? Well, I think the simple way is I've just completed the last chapter in my memoirs, which will be published next year, and it's called Wine, A Way of Life. And that's what it's been to me. I joined the wine trade out of university when I was 23, and um, it's all I've ever done. And I've been a merchant, I've been a writer, I've been an educator. I think to sum it up is that I've been a communicator, and to me that's absolutely important, particularly in the modern world. A way of life. I, I get your point of view. I can't wait to read your memoirs. Yeah. So you're, you're in Paris um, t- today, and we're talking to you about the resuscitation of the Académie de Vin. I wonder, if you, I wonder if we could backtrack even just a few steps, and you could kind of lay the groundwork as to what this organization was even initially, and then what it is you intend to do with it now once again. Well, L'Académie de Vin was a wine school in 1970. My wife and I moved to Paris. We'd uh, got married in 68. We went down to live in the in Provence, where I bought a, a ruin on a property, and we were going to we were going to rebuild it and and live down there. Anyway, that didn't happen. We moved to Paris, and I said to my wife, I'd go back into the wine trade, which I'd been in London wine trade before we married, <clears throat> and I didn't find the wine trade. I expected in Paris, so I ended up buying a shop, a small shop in the Madeleine, uh, called Carve in the Madeleine. And the majority of my clients were uh, Anglo-Saxon. In fact, the day I bought the shop, I placed an ad in the Herald Tribune, and it said, your wine merchant speaks English. And they used to come to the shop in the evenings, and I used to open a bottle or two of wine, and they said, well, you know, if you put this into a structured way, we'd love to do a wine course. And the premises next door came vacant, and I took them over and opened L'Académie du Vin. In fact, the name I wanted was L'Ambassade du Vin, the wine embassy, because I was an ambassador for wine, and that had already been taken. So I chose L'Académie du Vin, which an academy in France is a much grander name than an academy meaning a school, and that hadn't been taken. So anyway, that was what it was called, l'Académie du Vin. So we were founded by an Englishman and with my American partner, the first private wine school in France. And we were hugely successful because everyone wanted to learn about wine and we were the only place they could come to learn about it. And then there was the Judgment of Paris, which the Academy of Vin put on. And, and I, time passed, and I sold up everything in Paris in 19, 1989 and went back to England, to London, and eventually joined Decanter. And already in 82, I created for Christie's the Christie's Wine Course, so I was still heavily in education. And then earlier this year, 2017, I was elected to be the Decanter Man of the Year. And Patricia Gallagher, my partner in La Cadre de Vin from 73 to 88, 89 when I sold it, 
came to the lunch at Le Gavroche, the best restaurant we, in French restaurant we have in London. And there were 70 people there. And she realized that it had all begun at La Canterbury du Vin. And when she got back to Paris, where she lives, she looked into the background of La Canterbury du Vin and found that the name and the logo had not been registered for over 10 years. So she called me and said, Stephen, why don't we register it? I said, good, good idea. And so that's what we've done. We have re-registered the name and logo of L'Académie du Vin around the world. There is an Académie du Vin de Tokyo um, when they've got four branches in Japan and they've been going 30 years. And I was out in September for their 30th anniversary. And they're thrilled that we've now got the name for the entire, entire world. And we launched it in London in October 24th at Masaya where we're speaking on November 16th. I'm going to launch it in Washington, D.C. on January the 27th, and we'll do it in Moscow, in Frankfurt, uh, and, and really. So what L'Academy Divine is, we are going to be a licensing name for the highest possible sort of wine education and wine appreciation. And so we'll, I hope the name of L'Academy Divine, which was re recognized as in wine, the equivalent of the Cordon Bleu is recognized in food. I want to get that back. And I might teach the odd masterclass myself, but that's not the point. La Cadre de Vin will be the halo on major wine tasting events. That is very exciting. You know, just with this uh, conversation with uh, Mark w Williamson, you know, just a, a moment ago, we were talking about the whole pedagogy aspect, you know, and and you, you know, highlighting this importance of communication. Uh, I come across that, you know, all the time. We don't necessarily all have years and years and years to spend uh, tasting all kinds of wines and also the travel that it usually requires as well. So, um, well, what can we foresee happening, say, for example, in Washington, D.C.? Is there going to be course curriculum? Is it going to be online? Is it going to be maybe a weekend of seminars? Like, what can we look forward to? Well, there's one individual course. I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. on my way to Richmond, Virginia, to judge the, uh, the Governor's Cup, which is the ultimate award for, for, uh, for wines of Virginia. And Jay Yeomans, who is a master of wine, has got a wine school in Washington called the Capital Wine School. And he said, while you're in Washington, because I said my wife and I would like to spend a couple of days in Washington to go to the museums, uh, could you do a masterclass? I said, sure. And we've established the masterclass will be on the wines of the Rhone Valley, which I particularly like. And here in Masayo, Mark Williamson is one of the great Rhone Rangers. And then he said, you know, I've now had to hire a bigger place because this because it's, there's so much demand. And I said, Jay, can you latch on the Academy of Our name and logo because this will be a good launch for the Academy of Our in America. So it will, will just be a masterclass. But I'm going to do something with Jean-Charles Boisset, who I'm very friendly with. Uh, and I've suggested to him we have a theme called Into the Future, which will be my English sparkling wine made in Dorset and his icon wines from Napa and California. And so there's this endless things that can be done in a communication way under the name La Cadre de Vin. It's communication, not promotion, because we're not selling anything. We're communicating. 
Yeah, that's very uh, exciting. And you know, also the your the response to your proposed master cl- or your planned master class in Washington DC that doesn't surprise me because that's what I'm finding too is people there is a genuine interest to learn more and to learn more and discover more in a context where where that's what you're there for. You know, you're there you're there to you're there to learn. Well, I think the Jay Yeoman sent me the list from um, MacArthur Liquors, which is the best wine shop, wine store in Washington. And um, I picked out the Rhones, and they're going to be very interesting. And then, without blowing my own trumpet for the Washington clients to get someone like me come over and give a master class, that doesn't happen every day. So I'm not surprised it's filled up. In fact, I'd be very annoyed if it was not oversubscribed. You know, also too, um, and I'm and I'm not blowing my own horn, but uh, well, last well earlier this year now, but almost a year ago now, there was a congressional delegation that came through here, and um, several of them worked for House, and several of them worked for uh, you know senators in D.C. And I got to talk to a couple of them, and I asked them. What's the DC food scene like? And they said, well, you would be surprised. They said, it's really picking up. We actually even have one or two, one Michelin starred restaurants. So, so now what about, um, will the Academy Duvan, will it focus solely on wine or will you also look at wine and food pairings? Um, if we look at wine and food pairings, which could well happen at Masaya, where we are, there would be, it would be a wine dinner, and but I don't think it would be wine and food pairings. I dislike that idea intensely. My mantra is drink for mood and not for food. I think wine and food pairings is extremely pretentious and also extremely distracting from the wine. But there would be a dinner if Eduardo Chadwick were to come to Paris. There would be a dinner to show off his icon wines with the food that Marseille would create to match the wines. But it would be a dinner with wines as the forefront. Fascinating. I love. I love to hear your your perspective. Okay. So now, how? Let's kind of uh, going off into a, a related direction. How did you come to be such a champion of French wines? I mean, you just spoke a moment ago about you have your own sparklings now in southern England. I'd love to hear more about that. And then also, how is it, I mean, you could have chosen any country, you know, you could have chosen Italy, Spain. What fascinated you so much about about French wines? But first, let's hear about your sparklings, and then let's go to that next one. Well, um, uh, my wife bought a, a property, bought an estate in Dorset um, 30 years ago. And when I walked around the farm, I saw there was a lot of chalk on it. And I was still working in Paris in those days with La Canterie du Vin. And I put a couple of little blocks of chalk in my pocket and took them back. And at La Canterie du Vin, I showed them to Michel Bertin, who is the great French guru. And I put them on the table and I said, Michel, where do you think those are from? He said, well, Champagne, of course. And I said, no, they're from Dorset. He said, well, you should plant a vineyard. And so that put the idea into my head. And in 2009, with a lot of advice from the Boisset family and the sparkling wine experts, we did plant a vineyard. So we now have a vineyard called Bride Valley Vineyard because we're in the Bride Valley. The River Bride runs in front of our property. And um, it's uh, reputation-wise, it's going well. Quality-wise, it's going well. 
volume-wise, is not going very well. Um, I wish we could produce a bit more, but I'm not unhappy to have done it. So it's a it's a jump into the un it's a jump into the known unknown using a Rumsfeld phrase. Very nice. And I know you've mentioned now, too, uh, Jean-Charles Basset's name a couple of times. And, of course, he's the famous Napa producer who's fa- who's originally from Burgundy, huge Cremant de Bourgogne family, which I- I'm personally a, a great fan of the Cremant de, de Bourgogne. I think, yeah. I think in the coming years it's going to give... Uh, English sparklings, and also maybe, oh, shall I dare say it, champagne, so a little bit of competition. I'm Paige Donner, host of Paris Good Food and Wine. We're speaking with Stephen Spurrier, the organizer of the original Judgment of Paris. But um, now let's let's switch to uh, why France? Why French wines? Well, I was, I mean, being brought up in England in the, in the early 60s, I mean, drinking wine from the early 60s, it was mostly French. Um, of course, we had sherry and we had port and some German wine, but the German wines were generally sweet. And, you know, as a young man in, in London, I was didn't drink too much sweet wine. So French wines were the wines that we'd heard of, names like Nuit Saint-Georges, Chateauneuf-du-Pape, Chablis, and all that kind of stuff. But the key to it all, uh, when Jancis refers me as, to me as a champion of French wine, is on the day of our marriage... On the 31st of January 1968, my wife and I boarded the Golden Arrow to the train from Victoria to Paris, and for the next 15 years we lived in France. So I'm afraid it got under my, they got under my skin. You know, it was really wonderful to you. You weren't here. You were next door during Mark's conversation um, w- with me. But he he spoke uh, very fondly of those years when he worked for you at your wine shop. So you must have um, inspired uh, quite a number of wine careers. Is, is, do you take gratification in, in that? Very much so. I mean, when um, when I was uh, awarded the decanter man of the year, there was a big um, several-page article about me in decanter. And a lot of the quotes were from people I'd inspired, like James Lawther, like like Mark Williamson, like Drew Harray, like Tim Johnston, who's got his bar just down the street. In fact, we were known as Drew Harray, New Zealander, Tim Scottish, and Mark English. We were known as the, the Mafia Anglais. And between Tim and Drew and Mark, they have six restaurants between them in Paris. So the Mafia Anglais is alive and well. Glad to hear because it's not it's not easy to continue so successfully for so long here in Paris. So when you come, I guess I guess well, you know, maybe this will be the last question because I know you're you've got a full schedule. But uh, when you come to France, and you alluded to being one of the Rhone Rangers, you know, one of the champions of Rhone. But is there a region that you always go to? Or do you tend to keep on that path of continuous discovery? I think I continue the path, keep on the path of continuous discovery in wines. um, And that makes way outside France. I mean, all over the world. It's part of my job with the counter and part of what I like doing. I I think the southwest of France, just recently we have friends there around um, Toulouse and Provence and the Rhone are still uh, places I tend to gravitate to most. Champagne is always there. Um, Burgundy, I used to go to a lot for the Auspice. I'm, but yeah, but but um, I tend to. I've always been somebody who's tended to gravitate south, and so the Rhone, Provence, and the southwest. 
high on my high on my list. So we have the from the decanter man of the year. We have him um, affirming that the wine enthusiasts chosen region of the year, southwest of France, is uh, is one of the top. I think so. Um, everyone talks now about Malbec, Argentina. Uh, Malbec originated in Cahors, and Cahors is now absolutely fighting back. It used to be one of the great, great regions of France. It's getting it back. And I think for your your readers or your listeners, they should look to rediscover Cahors. Mr. Spurrier, that is a wonderful note to finish on. And I want to thank you so very much for taking some time out of your very busy schedule to talk to Paris Good Food and Wine on this podcast. Paige, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. Available on iTunes. If you'd like to support our show, you can find our Paris Food and Wine shop at parisfoodandwine.net. T-shirts, food items, and a soon-to-be-published food and wine pairing guidebook. That's parisfoodandwine.net. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. A big thank you to all who helped make this show possible, and especially a grand merci beaucoup from me, your host and producer, Paige Donner. You can find this and past episodes of Paris Good Food and Wine on iTunes. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Paris Food Wine and like us on Facebook at Paris Food and Wine.